I'm Melissa Boyles. Welcome to Moving Arizona, the podcast for transportation geeks like me who want to hear from the people who are shaping our industry. One of the things that I love the most about Arizona is how diverse we are, how we have Phoenix is a metropolitan area that is booming. It's all about technology and growth and it's amazing, but we have Tucson, Arizona, it's our next biggest metropolitan area in the southern part of the state. And then throughout Arizona, we have rural communities. We have small towns and cities that represent a very different sort of culture, each one unique in its own. And today we talk to a leader who has spent his life in one small community and yet is helping another community reach its potential with regard to transportation and infrastructure and really looking with an eye toward the future. Vinny Gallego. Vinny is the director of the Lake Havasu Metropolitan Planning Organization. He was born and raised in Prescott, Arizona. The two communities could not be more different. Prescott is in the high country of Arizona. Lake Havasu is in the desert. Lake Havasu plays host to the London Bridge, and Prescott has one of the longest histories of the communities in our state. Vinny is just as diverse in his views and has not been shy about being a voice for us and really challenging the status quo to try to bring recognition to our small rural Arizona communities and their needs while trying to educate our elected officials and appointed officials. And he leads in multiple ways and has very graciously taken the time out to talk to us today. So without further ado, let's talk to Vinny. Welcome, Benny. It's so exciting to have you on Moving Arizona. When I posted my podcast on LinkedIn and you made a positive, encouraging remark, my first thought was, oh, I hope you'll be willing to be interviewed. And when I reached out and you said yes, I could not have been more pleased. So thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome, Mel. And I suppose I should offer a confession to start off this show by saying I was actually kind of hoping that by offering my appreciation and <laughs> affirmation that you would actually offer an invitation to me just because I really was extremely excited. Like I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is awesome. Somebody in our industry is doing just a really cool, innovative engagement outreach. And I was a bit on the jealous side. So compliments to you. And mm-hmm. I will say that my appreciation kind of had a little string attached to it that we would be sitting here someday. Well, all it would have taken for me was a thumbs up on LinkedIn and I would have been like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I suppose the moral to the story for both of us is let's not hesitate. Let's go ahead and respond because the proof here is we need to follow through with that and good things happen. My goal was just to have enough episodes out there so that you could see that it was cool. And then maybe you would say yes, but we got to cut to the chase and actually get here and talk. And you're in my, I want to say my seventh interview. So. Well, for whatever reason, I think seven is a a lucky number. I was married on seven, seven, oh, seven. So the number seven has played an important role in my life. So I am happy this is episode seven. Well, I have met your lovely bride. So I will say that the proof is in your spouse. And I will agree with you that seven is a lucky number. (laughs) Thank you very much. So tell us a little bit about your background. I know you have an interesting story about where you live and where you work and how those are not necessarily the same place. Oh, very good. So yes, uh, born and raised in Prescott, Arizona. As to where I am today, I am privileged to be the director of the Lake Havasu Metropolitan Planning Organization. My beautiful bride, who we referred to, we still have our home in Prescott. And I work in Lake Havasu City. So I think most people, at least from Arizona, have a, a general idea. But I know your audience is probably expanding beyond Arizona. And driving distance, there's probably about three and a half hours on a good day, maybe about four hours driving between Prescott and Lake Havasu City. So Prescott's a little more in the center of Arizona, and Lake Havasu's on the uh, western end of Arizona on the California-Arizona border. And I've been there a little over two and a half years. And during the week, I am out in Lake Havasu City. And on the weekends, I return and join Deb here in Prescott. So that's kind of where I'm at. Again, being born and raised in Prescott, you know, when the opportunity to work in Lake Havasu City came up was a great opportunity. But, you know, we, we definitely wanted to keep our home in Prescott and continue to have that community. So I guess to summarize it, we kind of have the best of all worlds at this point. You certainly do. And and I think, you know, for me, one of the things that I really love about Arizona is how different the many communities we have. So if you look at Tucson versus Phoenix versus Flagstaff versus Prescott versus Kingman versus Lake Havasu, the communities and the population, the cultures are all very, very different. So for our audience that may either not be as familiar with Arizona or maybe not at all familiar with Arizona, can you talk a little bit about what Prescott is like versus Lake Havasu? Because they are very, very different. They are. And you know what? I'm glad you mentioned that because we do. We have a beautiful state. We have a diverse state. Having been born here, I feel like I've covered most of the state, but oh my gosh, there's still so much more to see. But some of the highlights for me is there's definitely a real history to Prescott. You know, there, there's the, the references, if you will, to the, the Doc Holiday era of cowboys and uh, cowboy history and you know, famous Whiskey Row, and you have this this very historical sense. And I guess right off the bat, if you want to compare uh, Prescott to Havasu, in, in that sense, Havasu, London Bridge just celebrated 50 years. So there's different history very much exists in both, in both places, but it's very different history. You know, Havasu has a shorter history. Prescott has a longer history. 
They're both very proud communities as they should be. They're very beautiful communities. I will say another real highlight that to make the connection between the two is just a real openness to visitors. So you look at Havasu and really there's such a warmth and a welcome to invite people to come visit, to see the historic London Bridge, to spend time out on the lake. It's a very relaxed community. I think that was one of the first things that really caught my attention being there was Prescott is a relaxed community, but you go to Havasu and they do, they take it, I want to say maybe down a notch in just enjoying the lake, enjoying sitting next to the lake. So you really do get a sense of tourism, of people there on a a break or a vacation. And I guess for me, I've enjoyed the pace of life in both communities. You're right, Mel, very different, but very positive. Some really uh, warmth that, that I've really valued from both places. That's one of the things I've tried to explain to my friends that are not from Arizona. And sometimes I think in the media, Arizona gets a little bit of a bad rap, but Arizona is really the you do you and I'll do me state. But from a general perspective for people that don't live here, like a lot of people don't realize that we have the Sonoran Desert and all the challenges with things like sandstorm you know, something out of the mummy. And then we have the San Francisco peaks that are 6,000 feet above sea level and the largest Ponderosa pine forest in the world. Prescott is one of those places that if you really want to escape the central and Southern part of the state, you escape to Prescott. There are so many people that have homes there because it is just so beautiful with the pine trees and the mountains and that laid back feeling. And you go down to Whiskey Row and the historic courthouse. And can you talk about being in that environment a little bit? Because especially after being quarantined in Phoenix for a few months, it's sounding really amazing. Oh, it, it is, you know, and I, I guess two things, weather, how much more dramatic can it get? Havasu, definitely, you know, there is some serious heat going on. You're down in the valley and, and Havasu and the valley are very similar. Havasu can get a, a few degrees hotter. So, I mean, there's a, there's an extreme heat. Prescott sits around a mile high, you know, so it tends to be cooler anywhere from 20 to 30 degrees cooler than Havasu. And um, that's a dramatic difference. You know, the drive again, if it's three to four hours, you can change 30, 40 degree difference, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's Arizona. So Prescott in particular that you were just asking about, what, what I am absolutely amazed by, and I've been here again my entire life, but I still am amazed that I could get in the car right now, you know, and we're in a, we're probably... I don't know, about a mile from the courthouse that you referenced. So we're not that far from downtown. We're by Prescott High School, the hospital. So we're, we're in the community. But we could get in the car and drive 10 minutes. And we are literally in the woods. You could drive, I don't know, 15 minutes from here. And you really get into a mountainous area. And it's a small growing community, but we still have just such close access to the mountains, the forests, the lakes. And I am just continue to be blessed by not having to drive any great energy effort or even time. And I'm just able to enjoy that. So I'm so glad you brought that up because that is something that I find very special and I hope I never take for granted. 
I couldn't agree with you more. I feel like we live in the, one of the most beautiful states in the country. I grew up in Flagstaff, so a little bit higher elevation than Prescott, but not much. But the difference from there to like Havasu, which is a whole different kind of beautiful, but it's a hot kind of beautiful. So when you say extreme heat, what do you mean? <laughs> when I say extreme heat, so during this time of stay at home, I'm staying at home in Prescott. and. You know, I'm looking at temperatures 70, 75, like today, it's literally 70 degrees and looking at the weather for Havasu and it's 105, 106. And again, it's a 35 degree difference. And this is a cooler day. You know, I know just a week ago, I think, you know, was hitting 110 or something up there because Prescott was again hitting 80, 85. You know, I'm kind of melting in Prescott at that. And I don't mean to be so spoiled. I was talking to friends, but I'm like, yeah, it's kind of too hot here. And you guys are in triple digits. And I'm like, oh, I should stop complaining, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of times you watch the news and or check weather online and Havasu and Parker are the hottest parts of the state. And I've seen it get north of the 120s. So that's a pretty intense kind of heat to deal with. The older I get, the more I like the heat, but there is a point where it's like, okay, this is a little bit silly. This is a little too much. <laughs> yeah, the surface of the sun hot is a little too much. <laughs> yeah, this is starting to melt things. So yeah, it reaches a point where it's a little excessive. The only saving grace to how hot our summers are is that it keeps everyone from wanting to live in Arizona. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. That's true. I think we've been, you and I have been pretty good at promoting some very positive things, but I guess the reality is, yeah, there are some, some negatives and the heat at times can be one of those. Well, and every community has their challenges, right? Not just from an environmental perspective, from a lot of different perspectives. And you've had a hand in dealing with some of the challenges for both of your communities with regard to your roles professionally. Can you talk a little bit about what you were doing before you went to like Havasu MPO and what you've been doing since you've been there. You have some really exciting programs and projects that you've been trying to move along since you joined the like Havasu MPO, but your work in our industry didn't start there. Yeah. Thank you for asking. I'd be happy to share. So as I said, been in Lake Havasu a little over two years, I'd say about two and a half now. And prior to arriving in Havasu, I had the opportunity and the privilege to work at another MPO, which is Central Yavapai MPO. And I was there right around a couple of years, and I was the transportation planner. So I thought for sure that was going to be my last job and just continue to, to spend all my time and energy there. And the opportunity arose for Lake Havasu City. Uh, The executive director position opened up. And here's the irony. So before I arrived at Simpo, Central Yavapai MPO, the transportation planner, her name was Jean Knight, had decided to leave Simpo to go become the Lake Havasu City executive director. So she left Simpo, went to Lake Havasu. She retired. And when she retired, I then pursued the director out in Lake Havasu City. So there was this weird little following that was was more ironic than anything. So for whatever reason, Chris Bridges over at Simpo continued to produce 
uh, staff for the uh, Lake Havasu MPO. But as far as projects over the years, yeah, I think there's several that I'm proud of. You know, being in transportation, as you know, it's multimodal. So we do have the great privilege of working with infrastructure, public transit, bicycle, pedestrian modes of transportation. And there's just so many different aspects to it. You know, we we look at how do people, goods and services move around. And this is, it's interesting, Mel, because it's such, it really is the most basic part of our community. What's more basic than transportation? But yet, it's also so incredibly complex because of all the different elements, all the different aspects. So. Yes, you and I can talk about a road project or a public transit plan, but oh my gosh, what is the complexity to it? You have public involvement, engagement, you got environment, sustainability, you got funding, you know, the almighty dollar, which again, really drives certain projects and can make things happen. You have local leadership and our elected officials, you have businesses. I could just go on and on and on. So it's basic, but yet it's complex. And over the years, both in Havasu and in Prescott, have had the opportunity to work with you and others on various plans to really help our communities evolve, to grow, to become what I hope are the best possible communities. And when I say that, I want to fully acknowledge everyone's participation because I think both communities and all communities, you know, the the people want safety, they want mobility, they want accessibility. And these are so, so important. So yeah, we've worked on public transit plans, safety plans and projects and tried to offer certain infrastructure as far as traffic signals go and medians and, and things like that. But there's a lot there. Transportation is really movement. We have to balance the needs of everyone. And I think sometimes transportation is also about not having a choice. So if you're someone who's dependent on paratransit or you're someone who is transit dependent, and the only way that you can get around is if you have access to a bus or a paratransit service, a dial ride service, recognizing the balance and coming up with plans that really address the constraints, the needs, and then the future needs of a wide array of people and organizations. It's fascinating to me how people like yourself can lead consultants and community members and public officials through that process to come up with a plan that actually serves everyone's needs. I really like exactly how you just described it. And I guess I would compare it. Occasionally, I'll be invited to give a presentation, if you will. We'll say like a local organization like a Kiwanis or the Lions Club or these organizations that have guest speakers come in for their luncheons and allow you to introduce yourself, your organization, and, and what do you do in the community. And I will use a little bit of a visual to what you just said and say, again, this is the real joy of my job. You know, some, maybe this isn't their thing, but it's a little bit like a puzzle. And each puzzle piece is exactly what you just said. A puzzle piece might say, 
public. A puzzle piece might say funding, um, sustainability, um, all these different pieces. And as a planner or an administrator in what we do, it's a challenge, but I find it a, a, an enjoyable challenge to say, how are we going to put this puzzle together? Each community, each situation's a little bit different. So we can't force it. We have to continue to work with what we have. We have to respect and acknowledge each piece of it. And again, it's a bit of a balancing act with all those different pieces. But to me, that's the real joy of what we do. It's a joy, but it's also, I think, a challenge, right? Especially for our rural communities. I think a lot of people don't realize 65% of the population in commerce sits in Maricopa County, but Maricopa County does not represent 65% of the geography of the state. And if you look at our rural communities like Prescott, like like Havasu, like Kingman, we have so many smaller communities throughout the state that really have the same needs as our larger metropolitan areas, but those needs are more spread apart. So there's a greater distance. And usually there are a lot fewer resources available to try to meet those needs. So, yeah, we have, as many states do, but, you know, let's talk about Arizona specifically, and let's include Tucson with Phoenix. And, and you have these, these major uh, metropolitan population centers. So Phoenix and Tucson. And then for the sake of our conversation, we can say anything outside of Phoenix and Tucson would be what we would call greater Arizona. Uh, maybe another term people have used, again, is rural Arizona. Either way, you described it uh, very spot on to say that you have a significant, significant population of, uh, and I don't even know the number offhand, but again, you said 65 for Phoenix or Maricopa. You add Tucson on there and you're getting up, again, three quarters of the state is in these two cities. So then geographically, just like you said, you have the rest of the state, which is a very big state. Arizona has a lot of land, a lot of geography, and you have that other quarter of the population. They exist, they live, they work, but the greatest challenge is they are spread out. So yes, you still have the same, same services that need to be addressed in transportation, in mobility, in transit. I would make a case that they're even more challenging because it is so spread out. So if you and I were to sit here and talk about a bus service or a transit service of some kind, it becomes how much more costly that we're talking a, a much more spread out area. Those are dollars. You know, every time that wheel on the bus has to go round and round, it costs a significant amount of money. So if it's not in a condensed area and it's much more spread out, you're right. That's a huge, huge challenge. So I'm glad you acknowledge that. And it continues to be a real area of our conversations as we move forward. One of the things that Chris shared with me about Yavapai County is the veteran community and then the, the elderly community and how that that's one of the highest suicide rate across the country because of how isolated they can become as they're trying to age in place. And then our veteran community, you know, trying to get 
to the VA facility to get their services, that there are challenges trying to get them to medical treatments and to try to get them to jobs and things of that nature. And I don't think people realize sometimes the lives that are being impacted by a lack of availability of funds. And like you were saying, you know, when you have such a long distance between people and then you have smaller populations, part of our formulas for our grant funding is ridership. So there's could be a tremendous need, but we can't fabricate the ridership to justify the grant funding Historically, that's been a huge challenge for greater Arizona and and trying to educate our legislators and and trying to get dedicated funding or any kind of acknowledgement and together to try to reinforce that investment. And I know you have been doing quite a bit of legwork to try to educate people. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. I'd be happy to. And, and, you know, I'm going to just say right up front on this particular topic, it's a genuine, real issue. And I hope everyone really tracked kind of our last little piece of this conversation, because there is an ability to have a little bit of movement in this conversation, but there's not a lot. And that that's, that's the reality. If we look at where the people live, and again, the numbers are, as we said, in Phoenix and Tucson, for the most part, they are absolutely, just like everyone else, entitled to their taxes and how that works in their community. So I think the split between the two has been worked out over the years, and it's it's understood. It's, again, if you will, population-based, uh, people-based so they're really doing the best they can. The, the real challenge is, you know, the pie is only so big. So you and I can, you know, kind of have a more detailed get in the weeds conversation. All right. Is the pie really being divided fairly between Phoenix, Tucson and greater Arizona? I'll just defer to those that are making the decision that from what I can tell, they're doing the best they can. I think okay. where hopefully more conversations will be continued to be had will be about how do we make that pie bigger? And then that's where that gets way trickier, that conversation. There's lots of perspectives, lots of opinions on it. People have continued to wrestle with this over the years tremendously. And I respect all those that participate in it. I've done my share of participation these last few years. It's not an easy conversation because, again, it comes down to funding. Where is the funding? How much do we have to work with? And transportations, like many, many other things, there's always a list of needs Uh, maybe even a list of wants that is so much greater than the available resources. So where we're at is what are the best ways to make the pie bigger, make more funding available. And I will also acknowledge, as I've had many conversations with our local leadership in Havasu, the value of how are we doing things now? Are we doing things the most efficient way possible? Is there an opportunity, before we even talk about making that pie any bigger, is there a way to look at our process, our system, and how we go about delivering a project? I hear local leadership talk about this, and I respect it tremendously. 
So I want to acknowledge that because I think that's a very valuable thing. And I'm sure you experience this in your company. You know, how often are you and us looking at what we're doing? Where are the areas of waste? Where are the areas that we can improve upon? And let's start there. And I think that's valuable. At the same time, I think we can have dual conversations. And I think that second conversation is while we're working on transparency, efficiency, moving into our future, what will it look like to make the pie bigger? And I think there's a whole host of options in there. But I will also acknowledge that those options come with incredible debate, incredible strain. And most of those are very healthy and good. But they can definitely bog down the conversation as to how could we or how would we make the pie bigger for transportation, for transit, for more needed projects to improve safety, uh, health and welfare of our communities. Absolutely. I think one thing, too, is that for our elected officials, appointed officials, understanding that equation involves leveraging It involves investment. It involves return on investment with the CARES Act. Now we have an opportunity to invest in developing systems like Simpo now is looking at having funding to actually start a transit system where that wasn't available previously, but because they have a plan that they can implement, they can take advantage of grant funding through the CARES Act. But for Lake Havasu, I know something that you had mentioned in the past is that you had funding that was available to you, but because you didn't have a transit plan, because you didn't have a mechanism for delivering transit, those dollars just lingered basically, or were redistributed to other communities around the state. I think one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that Arizona is a donor state. We don't get 100% of our tax dollars back to reinvest in our state that go out to the federal government, in large part because we don't have programs for them to fund. And I know that you have been very engaged in educating people and proactive about developing plans for Lake Havasu. Can you explain a little bit about that process and what you encountered when you became the executive director there? You bet. Thank you very much. And before I begin to answer that question, let me say, oh my gosh, this is the best show ever. You are totally like geeking out on transportation and transit. And (laughs) to be able to have a forum to, to have these conversations is awesome. So I just really do. I applaud you. And I'm glad we're talking about this. And I hope that this will continue to engage others and we can expand the conversation. This is awesome, Mel. Thank you so much. Thank you. It is not an exaggeration to say that I'm a transportation geek. (laughs) Well, I'm glad. That's awesome. So specifically, let's talk a little bit about the work we've done related to transit. And I think I'll talk specifically about Havasu, but I'll use a couple generalizations in that it's very similar to other communities' history throughout Arizona. So The whole existence of the MPO, it's rooted in reaching a population threshold of 50,000 people or greater. So there was a time when a certain type of funding was available for transit services, literally when Lake Havasu was designated officially rural Arizona. So 
2010 comes along, we hit that 50,000 population number, then federal law and census and all these things start kicking in as far as saying, all right, you've now crossed a number. We're establishing an MPO for the area to help steward the resources and the planning efforts. But here's one of the points that you hit on. Uh, A downside, you know, was you are no longer eligible to utilize those rural funds for transit. And what that did at that time was it changed the local community from only needing a match of around, let's say, 20% to jumping up to a higher match of 50%. So if a local community is paying 20 cents on the dollar, to be able to use federal dollars. And all of a sudden, population increases, the laws change, and say now you're paying 50 cents on the dollar. That's a pretty big jump. Again, when you're running a very efficient budget, a very careful budget like many cities. So for Havasu, that wasn't the only part of the decision, but that's a main influence to say, our budget responsibility just increased, starting to look at people's habits and how they were utilizing the service that was somewhat adjusting. You know, you're always battling the heat, so that's another factor. So they did change in Havasu to a a more of a demand response versus more of a traditional fixed route system. I want to say at the height of the fixed route system, there was close to 83, 84 bus stops, which is pretty significant for a smaller community of a little over 50,000 people. So when they went to a demand response, which is about where we're at today, those federal funds were still available to the community. So one of the main tasks of the MPO was to support the city, to partner with the city, and develop a plan to be able to draw down those federal dollars. Because a major role of the MPO is we want to leverage all possible resources, most especially fiscally, and make those happen in the community. We don't want to leave dollars on the table, most especially our community's tax dollars. And what was happening prior to the plan is they weren't staying in the community. They were being spent, but they were going to say, Flagstaff, Sierra Vista, Phoenix, who all have very good services and doing some very good work. But we really wanted to have a plan to keep those dollars alive and well in in Havasu communities. Well, your new transit plan has been just recently completed. Isn't that so? That is so. We finished, it was the beginning of this year, 2020. It was right around January, February, maybe March. And then as we all know, our life, our whole world absolutely turned upside down. And we had this incredible plan that really we worked so close with the city to say, okay, we want this, we want to set up for success. And we don't want the, like any plan, we don't want it to sit on the shelf and gather dust. We want this thing to hit the ground running, but we want it to be practical, sustainable. And I think we did. I think we, we really, we hit the target. And fast forward to our world today, and yes, that plan has really literally probably had to go to the shelf to take a backseat to everything else. But I am so glad you mentioned the CARES Act, Mm -hmm. 
you know, because that has been our work, if you will, the last few months is we've been having amazing conversations about the CARES Act. And I really want to applaud our federal government onto the state government and the work that they're doing because I do not envy them. I I know there are buyers that need to be put out, need to be addressed. It is a long, long list of things. For whatever reason, though, uh, transit was one of the first things to, to receive this economic recovery and stimulus. And I've been privileged to be having conversations about the CARES Act. And Arizona, along with the other states, and Havasu in particular, are receiving these funds for economic recovery through transit. And I think from that perspective, the future is very bright. I say that with respect to other situations that are struggling, acknowledging so many other issues that I know are being worked on. I think it's a balance, right? Because we have this horrific situation that we're dealing with, the global pandemic. We have the number of people who have lost lives, the number of people who have lost loved ones, an environment of fear now evolving to an environment of anger and frustration. And I think that if we were to focus only on that, it would be very easy to feel pretty hopeless. But the other way to look at this is that while all of those terrible conditions exist, there also exists an environment where there is an enormous opportunity for change. And some of the things that have been fundamentally difficult or unacknowledged in our society are getting acknowledged. People are really seeing the impacts that we have had on the environment, for example, now that you've got the vast majority of the people, certainly within the state, but uh, you know, in the country that are attempting to work from home. So drastic reductions in emissions, you're seeing the impact on wildlife, you're having parents that have a new appreciation for teachers, you're seeing teachers get creative about how they're educating children. There are so many things that If we choose to look at this in a sense of the obstacle is the way, what is the way forward? And the way forward is certainly to deal with the challenges, but it's not to force us back into an old status quo. And there are a lot of opportunities for us to make things better as a result of this horrible challenge that we're all trying to navigate together. And I think your work, Chris's work, everyone, gosh, even in a giant company like the one that I work for, everyone is just rolling up their sleeves and saying, okay, yeah, this is awful, but is it presenting us with a chance to look at things in a completely different way that we never would have considered before because we were stuck in the mindset of there was only one way to do things? Yeah, and I I hear you and I hope that that's the case. I really do. And I I think what I'm hearing from you is you're really speaking to the planner in me. And the planner in me does exactly what you're saying is taking several steps back, looking at the big picture. And, And you're right, because if you don't take those steps back, it's a bit overwhelming right now. There are some parts of what's happening in our world that are really tough. On a personal level, they weigh a lot on me. But on a professional level, I hope me 
I hope those in our industry and beyond will take a few steps back and look at the big picture and say, okay, what are we experiencing? Where do we go from here? And to your point, Mel, what can we do better? You know, what, what have we learned? Where do we go from here? And I hope there's lots of opportunities to have the conversations that your company's having. I, I think that's great that you all are doing that. I feel like a lot of people are doing that at a micro and macro level. And I hope we end up taking advantage of the opportunity to revisit how we do things. I know at a personal level and a professional level, I'm certainly doing that. I know you're doing that. More people that I know are doing that than people I know that are not doing that. (laughs) I know very few people that are like, oh, I can't wait to get back into commuting three hours a day or four hours a day, or eight hours a day, or I want to spend half my life on an airplane because I refuse to have a video conference. I'm not hearing anybody say those kinds of things. And as a sort of a segue toward thought leadership, (laughs) one of your many hats that you wear is to be part of the board of directors for the Arizona Transit Association. You've been involved with that organization for quite some time. And your role as the legislative chair is pretty important to us. Um, I know we talked a little bit about the conversations and the education, because I know that's really your focus is not on advocating or lobbying for something, but really to just educate people about the needs that we have in our communities and to present some innovative ways that they might be able to help us address those needs and using ASTA as a platform and you being our, what did we decide to call you? The grand czar of legislation or something like that? (laughs) I'm not sure what you call me behind my back, but yes, it's something like that. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. That's great. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about um, that organization and your role as our legislative chair and the, the progress we're hoping to make there? Absolutely. So yeah, Arizona Transit Association, just uh, an incredible organization that you and I have the privilege of sitting on the board, uh, been involved these last couple of years. And, you know, we, we sit on a board of 25 of us or so with, you know, two staff members, Becky Miller as the executive director, and she has an assistant in Cindy Lozano. And just an excellent association, really trying to continue to keep transit as a conversation on the table. And, you know, we've already talked about this in our time together, but public transit in Arizona struggles in the sense that there's several different models of public transit that exist from Phoenix, Tucson, and then the rest of Arizona. And there's just no funding in Arizona being provided to public transit. So you do have states throughout the country that do have budget dollars for public transit. Arizona is not one of those. And while we talk about the limited resources for road infrastructure and transportation, well, what about this conversation when we talk transit and there's zero state dollars? So right off the bat, you know, you got some incredible challenges for our transit providers. Now, from a a legislative standpoint that you brought up, we continue to meet as an association. I hope my role is effective in facilitating where we as an association are able to go this next year and 
we just had a retreat recently to talk about this exact topic because we do need to balance with what is the mission of ASTA in continuing to promote and keep public transit uh, highlighted throughout the state of Arizona and what are our opportunities for legislation. And we've really identified that maybe the, the basic part of where you started this is that education law is do our legislators, uh, local, state, federal, are they aware, are they really aware of what's happening with public transit in Arizona? And I say that respectfully because I know their plates are full. And as much as I would love public transit to be their, their number one thing, I need to be realistic that they have a list of law enforcement, police, fire, they have utilities, water, they got schools, they got just this endless, endless list. But Mel, you and I have already talked today. Let's go back to the statistic you said about Yavapai County, the elderly and the suicide rate. You hit on it. How valuable and important is this to people that are potentially in isolation? Mobility is access to what? It's access to jobs, to healthcare, to school, to recreation. This right here is a lifeline. Yeah. So, you know, I, I know I'm blessed, you're blessed. We have vehicles, we can run out to our car and get in it, but we don't represent 100% of our people in our state, in our communities. So as does continuing to educate my role on the legislative committee, like I said, is I just want to help the board and the staff move along in a strategic way, in an enthusiastic way, and let's achieve a conversation that results in greater support for transit. Because I know on the front lines, Mel, we got bus drivers, we got uh, people riding the bus, we got people that, that are using this as a true lifeline. Yeah. All that I want to do as an association is support that. I know that it means life to them. I don't want you and I to talk about this high suicide rate because of isolation. That is a heartbreaker. So yes. if you and I can do something about it, then let's do it. And I think that's what we're doing with ASTA. I believe that's what we're attempting to do through ASTA. I think that a lot of times people think about transit and they think, oh, that's the bus service or in Phoenix, that's the light rail service or that it really means so much more than that. And I think that there are a lot of different ways that you can present public transportation. There are so many different potential opportunities, the universe of opportunities out there to not replace our roads and freeways and interstates, but to create more of a or a fabric, if you will, so that the people that don't have individual cars are not forced into isolation or not prevented from being as mobile as the people who do. And I think one of the considerations that people often maybe are not even aware of is that, you know, when you think about just take Phoenix, for example, the closer you get to the city core, the more expensive it is to live. But what most of the activity centers and employment centers are at the city core. And whether you're in a large city or in a small city, that's generally going to be the case. 
But if that's the highest cost of living and you have to live in the rural part of the city, the outskirts of the city, a rural community, because you can't afford the cost of living in the community or in the city core, that means that you have to have uh, reliable transportation. And to get people to jobs and to education and to medical facilities, we have to be thinking about more than just them driving a car because there are a lot of people that can't afford to. I think listening to what you just said, I respect that. that that's a very healthy illustration that you just painted. I will say this, that's not an easy one to have in all settings, depending on the room. You know, it's difficult, you know, when you're talking about public transit, if you will, to a room full of people that may not use it. Well, and on the on the road and interstate and freeway front, if you build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're going to have likely, you know, once we get past our our current pandemic environment with everybody working from home, there's a good possibility that no matter how much capacity we build into our roadways, that capacity will always be filled, if not exceeded. Mm-hmm. And I think on the roadway front, which I'm certainly not opposed to, I think that ADOT does an amazing job as do our cities. And we have one of the best roadway systems in the country in Arizona. But I think if you, if you build it, they will come, right? to quote the movie, whatever the baseball movie was for Kevin Costner. And, but with transit or with public transportation, if you build it right, they will come. So if you hit activity centers, if you hit employment centers, if you hit educational centers, if you get to um, hospitals and, and things like that, if you find out where the needs are and you connect the dots, we could have the ridership. And that ridership means fewer people on the road for the people who want to stay in their cars. And that's not a bad thing either. That's not a bad thing. And that's a really important thing. And in developing a transit plan and trying to find that, there really is that sweet spot that you have to to hit and you have to find. And, you know, everyone would absolutely love a, a service that, is specifically unique for them, you know, if you will, almost a door-to-door type of service, an Uber Lyft, if you will. But we also know on the other end of that is that's a very costly type system. So to your point, okay, well, we can't afford to go to everyone's door, but what are those key population areas? What are those unique corridors, those unique uh, parts of town, roads, And, you know, I I think the future continues to evolve in a very positive way when you look at things like with technology or you look at microtransit and you do start to look at, okay, how do we either partner up with the Uber Lyfts of the world or how do we, how do we provide a more customized service? And I I think we're, we're learning a heck of a lot in a short period of time. With that said, I think our future is very bright. I think when it comes to transit, efforts and plans, I'm seeing a a pretty big jump just in my short time uh, these last few years. And I'm excited about what the future looks like. I'm very excited about what the future looks like. I have said before, when it comes to our industry, when it comes to Arizona and our industry, I think we have some pretty amazing people and we have a lot of innovation and 
drive toward serving people, whether it's you're at ADOT or you're MCDOT or you're, you know, MPO COG, Valley Metro, what have you. I think what really is driving people is to serve our communities and with a thought toward a bright future. As you're aware, part of the reason that I came up with the idea of moving to Arizona was because I am a part of a mentorship program right now. And I just wanted to ask you your thoughts on mentorship. And if you have any words of wisdom, parting thoughts, things that you'd like to pass along to maybe a next gen or evolving gen of transportation. Absolutely. And um, this is definitely something that speaks to my heart. So mentorship, the opportunities to journey with other people speaks to probably my soul, speaks to my heart. It's a life-giving journey. And because of that, I think early on in my life, I thought, how great would it be to be a teacher? Fast forward to where I am today, and I do have the privilege to be teaching at ASU and NAU both. And to be in the classrooms, it's an incredible, incredible gift for your point exactly, Mel. It should be a challenge to each and every person to seek out the opportunities of service. How can we journey with others to offer mentorship opportunities? And I really do see an incredible growth that happens. It may not even be necessarily in the field that we're talking about. Transportation covers a long list of communication, technology, environment sustainability. So I hope I've done my share and I hope you continue to promote that. But I want to challenge anyone that's listening to find an opportunity to offer mentorship. And you would be amazed at the mutual benefits of having a a different perspective come in. Sometimes our ideas or those around us might be a little bit stale. You get a different mind come in there and you're like, huh, I've been stuck on that for a while. And I think they just nailed it. I'm excited. I want to do my part. I'm willing to do whatever I can to help out. Well, those were some pretty inspirational words. And I I appreciate your sincerity with that. I know it's not easy to juggle home and work and especially when home and work are in two different cities and then you layer on that being an educator that you would challenge other people to make the time to mentor. I always struggle with saying that young people coming into the industry because I don't feel like it's just young people coming into the industry. I feel like there are a lot of people in our industry that were maybe on a completely different career path and fell in love with something about transportation and decided, I want to do that. And maybe they were 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 when they decided they wanted to do that. And those people are at crossroads too. And they need mentorship and help and connections and introductions and advice, just like our young people that are coming out of school. So I would I would say not just youth coming into our industry, but fresh perspectives coming into our industry. Beautifully said, Mel. You know, I, I just wrapped up a semester teaching sociology 101. And, you know, I really teach out of a sense of, of service 
And I find this incredible reward to be able to offer whatever I can in the classroom. And I don't even know what that looks like for each of them. It's, I don't know, academic career advice. And you're right, Mel. It's, it's not an age thing. It's not youth. It's everyone. And, mm-hmm. and that just think if we could do that, how awesome that would be in every community where we just make ourselves available and we help and we, we're genuine and we're available. That's a beautiful gift. I would wholeheartedly support that. I think you said beautifully, taking the time to have a conversation. I can't tell you how many people I have run across, especially in the last 90 days, that are just incredibly grateful for a conversation. And right now, I think that's probably one of the most powerful things that we can do for each other. Making that sure that we're being intentional about that is something that is within everyone's grasp. I hope if anything good really comes out of this, maybe that's what it'll be. You know, maybe it's that, that I and others needed a time to really pause and say, okay, what's really important? What's valuable? And I've rediscovered these conversations to have with people and then just be present. So I hope I can at least maintain that as things hopefully get back to uh, something that resembled what we had before. Well, resembled, but hopefully is perhaps much improved because we're all much more intentional about engaging and supporting each other. Yes, thank you. That's very, very important. I hope that's the case. With that, we will wrap up. And once again, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to do this. This has been amazing to have this conversation with you. Well, thank you so much. And I just want to absolutely encourage and applaud you and keep up this work. This is awesome. Really, <laughs> it's um, for our industry, it's innovative and engaging. And I'm really in awe. So keep it up and keep doing it. Uh, this is great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Moving Arizona. It was such a pleasure to talk to a fellow transportation geek like Vinny Gallego. Vinny is such a strong advocate for greater Arizona and is such a commanding presence and voice for the needs of rural Arizona. We can't thank him enough for spending the time to speak to us today and we wish him nothing but the best as he works toward a much stronger, better, brighter future for all of us in Arizona. Next time, we'll be talking to April Wire and Zoe Richmond from the Maricopa County Department of Transportation. They were just recently recognized for the Innovative Transportation Project of the Year by the Metro Phoenix WTS chapter. We look forward to hearing from them and sharing how the Maricopa County Department of Transportation is shaping the future of transportation. So until then, let's keep moving.